God is good all the time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus, the name, the name that is above every other name, the name that means God saves, the only name by which we must be saved, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So be glorified in our worship today. We offer you our lives and we give thanks for the offering of Christ's life for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. What oxygen is to our lungs, so hope is to our souls. We know that three things abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I might add that I think we know a great deal more about faith and love than we do about hope. And so in my preparation and thinking for this new year, I have contemplated the passages of Scripture that teach us about our hope in Jesus Christ. In the weeks to come, I want to show you some faces of hope in the Scriptures. But let me begin today by asking, has the new year brought you new hope? I read a survey this week that said 72% of Americans agree that 2009 was a lousy year. That's higher, by the way, than in previous years that survey was taken. But Some three-quarters believe that it will be a better year for our country. Some 80% believe that it will be a better year for our families, that 2010 will be a better year. What is the basis for that optimism? Is it the changing of the calendar? And do we find ourselves caught up in optimism? Or are we sort of like that Chicago Cubs fan who every year went to the ballpark on the first day of the year with a sign that said, wait till next year. (laughs) You could have the attitude, it's never going to get any better, not this year. But we have reason in the Scripture to believe that this year is going to be a great year. And I just want to point out a couple of those reasons with you this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 23 to 26, I want to offer you a taste of hope. You may have had a taste of Texas, you may have had a slice of heaven, but I want to offer you a taste of hope this morning. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You might underline those last three words, until he comes. You may be seated. No question, the church at Corinth was a troubled church. If you've studied the New Testament, you know they had problems. They had 
problems of division within the membership. They had uh, problems of immorality in the membership that was unconfronted. They had the problems with taking each other to court. They were arguing about which food to eat and where. And they couldn't even get the Lord's Supper right, if you can believe that. They were divided when they came to the Lord's Supper. Their attitudes weren't right. And they sort of had a a potluck kind of Lord's Supper, as best we can discern it. And some people brought their best designer breads. And other people had nothing at all to bring. And some people filled up gluttonously. Others became drunk, and others had nothing at all to eat. And Paul says, when you do that, whatever you do, don't call that the Lord's Supper. In fact, he says, I'll I'll tell you again what I told you when I was there with you. The Lord's Supper is this tradition that's been passed down to us, not just from apostles, but from the Lord himself, that on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. And if you read these verses closely, you realize that the Lord's Supper is a time for celebration. It's a time for giving thanks. In fact, the early church called it the Eucharisteo, the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. It's a time to celebrate. It's also, we Baptists are well aware, a time to commemorate, to remember what Christ has done. This do in remembrance of me. We saw it's a time of proclamation. You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Somebody's watching, somebody's listening. When you eat and drink, you are saying, we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and that He rose again. It's a time for examination. Verse 27 says, for us to look inside our own lives. In fact, we shouldn't even eat and drink unless we have looked inside our own lives and examined ourselves in full view of the cross. But these last three words of verse 26 arrested me not only is it a time of celebration and commemoration and proclamation and examination but Paul says this supper is a time of anticipation we do this not if he comes or um, in case he comes but until Christ comes this is the way We, the church, invest in hope. We eat this bread, we drink this cup, and we speak about Jesus not only as one who has died, but one who has risen, one who is going to return. And this is our confidence. So whenever we eat this bread, whenever we drink from this cup, we are testifying to our hope. We are tasting hope. What does hope tastes like? What does a new year taste like? We were trying to explain to a a new member of our family the meaning of black-eyed peas. Maybe you could have done that better than we did, but she was pretty sure that the taste of a new year is not black-eyed peas, but the salad and the bread at Olive Garden. That's what a new year should taste like, she said, and we all went along with that. What does a, a new year taste like? Well, for us, At Tallowood, the years I've been here, on this first Sunday of the new year, hope has tasted like bread, like the fruit of the vine. And in this bread, when we eat this bread, we are are testifying to our hope in two things. First, we are testifying to the hope that we can be forgiven of the past. So Jesus says, this is my body. This is my body which is for you. And at the very start of a new year, we say this, this life, 
this world, this worship, this church, it's not about us. It's about Him. This is my body, He said. And even as we read that, we realize we are His body and He is the head of the body. And He says we are His. And we couldn't be more His than we are. He created us and He redeemed us. And this meal testifies to that, that that we are His. So at the beginning of a new year, we think about Him. I'm reading the Scriptures through again this year. We invite you to join us. I've got a little different plan just to change things up a little bit. It's available to you out there. But I'm reading from the message from Eugene Peterson's translation. It's not uh, just an interpretation. It's literally a translation of the Scriptures. And I'm reading it. And at the introduction to Genesis, he says this. First... God, not God at the margin, um, not God as an option like uh, leather seats on our cars, not God for the weekends, but God at the center, God as the circumference, God first and God last, God, 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 he writes. That is to say in his introduction to Genesis, life is really about God. And I must confess, in case you need me to confess for you, I will, that I didn't always live 2009 that way. I've been reading a little book by Marva Dawn in which she talks about in the beginning God and she reminded me just how narcissistic our world is and, and as I applied it to my own life, how self-centered I can be. But the people of God were never meant to be self-centered. I know we live in a world that encourages that. But we are to be Christ-centered. We are to be God-centered. This is my body, he says, which is for you. That is, Jesus gave his body for us. And the truth in this bread and this cup is not only is this table for us, but here's the good news. God is for us. And Paul said, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but willingly gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things everything we need we say God will provide he who gave manna in the wilderness to his children will provide for our needs give us this day our daily bread we pray and God is for us and even as we eat the bread and then we come to the cup we realize that this cup is a new covenant that that there really can be a new you in a new year, that we don't have to revert to the past, that we don't have to live the way we used to live. Max Licato says your, your failure is not fatal. That is really, really good news. Because some of us perhaps at some point of failure have believed, well, that's who I am, that's who I'll always be, and that's the end of the story. But this bread and this cup say that's not the end of your story, that old things have passed away. And all things have become new, and we have become new through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if He makes all things new, then He can make us new. And we have hope that we can be forgiven for the past. So Paul said to the church at Philippi, forgetting those things which are behind, I need to leave some things behind. Are you glad to leave 2009 behind? To leave some of it, but it's good to leave the past behind and to press toward the mark and to believe that we not only have hope of forgiveness from the past but we have 
bright hope for the future. I read again this week, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 18. There is surely a future hope for you, and it will not be cut off. This is God's promise to us, one of His many promises that instill and inspire hope in us to know that there is a future for us. Paul just just references it cryptically there in those last three words, until He comes. He's really echoing the words of Jesus from Luke chapter 22, verse 15. We only eat this until it is fulfilled in the kingdom, until the kingdom of the Father comes, Matthew chapter 24, until... Until, until Christ comes, we eat this meal knowing that the day will come when we will sit down at His banquet table and He will say, come, for all things are now ready. And maybe you're wondering, when? When will Jesus Christ return? When will, when will the darkness of this world be transformed into light? When will sin be lost in holiness? When will our pain be caught up in the joy of those who enter into the presence of the Lord? You may wonder and you may say, I've been in God's waiting room for a whole year. But believe me when I say, our story is not so much that we are waiting on God But in the New Testament, we learn that God is waiting on us. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, don't don't be discouraged. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. And and don't don't give up hope, he says, in the Lord's coming. Don't, Don't lose hope as some have done because, he says, the Lord is being patient with you because He doesn't want anybody to perish but everybody to come to repentance. Paul echoes that same thought in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, when he says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not knowing that his kindness leads us to repentance? We're not really waiting on God. But God is really waiting on us to turn, turn, will be our delight till by turning, turning, we come around right. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples with great eagerness, I have desired to eat this meal with you, he said to his disciples. Because this is the last time he said, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of the Father. And with great eagerness, I have desired at the beginning of a new year with this church family to eat at this table. A friend who went to be with the Lord over the holidays, Bob Fulweber, a cardiologist in our city, loved the Lord's Supper. Larry Bertrand went up to visit him in the hospital. I did as well. But one time when Larry was up there, um, Bob said, did you bring the Lord's Supper with you? (laughs) You know, we Baptists are often ill-equipped in these things. No, I didn't carry it with me. He said, oh. I wish I could eat the Lord's Supper. He did. In fact, the last thing he did in this world was eat from this table. He died with the taste of the bread and the cup on his lips. Imagine that. Imagine the hope of that. To um, eat the Lord's Supper one last time and then to wake up at the great supper of the ages to be welcomed into the presence of God. I invite you this morning when you eat this bread and drink this cup to taste hope 
And when you do, to savor that flavor, to hold on to that hope. Because I don't know what, what 2010 holds, but I know that the one who holds 2010 is holding us. And this gives me great hope for the future. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And so today when we eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord, we receive again the truth that you are really present in your people. Through your Holy Spirit, you live in us. And if Christ is in us, then there is not only hope of glory for us, but there is hope for our sometimes hopeless world. So help us today to hope, Lord. For the one who has lost hope, help us to taste and see that you are good. You are our hope. You are our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.